Well, actually, before we start, Bear, is there anything you in particular wanted to talk about? Anything like that? Yeah. Any highlight you wanted to make note of when talking about this album? Um, uh, that's a good question. Um, it blows my mind that they hadn't brought Butch on to do any earlier albums. Like this, kind of felt like Dave they... being okay going to like his dorky punk ass roots where. You know, he's got Lemmy on it. He's got Bob Mould on it. He's bringing Butch back. And it's like, I almost wanted you to do this sooner. Like, could you imagine one by one with just this kind of aesthetic? Oh, it would have been so much better if you cut some of those songs out. I was going to say, or like, I mean, the first half of In Your Honor is already pretty great. But could you Mm -hmm. imagine if it was like even heavier with, yeah, like Lemmy on yeah. like on a track or you know, like Butch record doing the recording, but yeah, no, that's that's something. We'll okay. You know, we should probably just start. And like, yeah, we'll jump and in. all this this is all good stuff. This so is all let's, great. Let's get it in the. We're going out of order. <laughs> We're going out of order. <laughs> but remember all that because all that's yeah. very good. Yeah. yeah. So okay. anyway, I'm so what I do. Bear dogs and cats living together. Exactly. Yeah. No, we can edit it together. But anyway, uh, Bear, what I like to do is I just like to mute myself while Andrew starts. Um, you're free to do the same if you want. Um. And uh, so, yeah, Andrew, whenever you're ready. Sounds good. Uh, Okay. This is always the hardest part. Welcome to Walking After Foo, the album-by-album discussion podcast of all things Foo Fighters. I am one of your hosts, Andrew Williamson, joined with my other co-host, Peter Kanigsberg. Hey there, Andrew. How you doing? I'm pretty good. This is our first recording of the new year, so happy new year to you. Happy new year to you, too. Uh, Really excited about this episode. Um, Actually, before we really jump into it, do want to throw shout-outs to Honeymooners, just the band that does our theme music. We actually haven't talked about it yet. I think we should plug Honeymooners. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Um, they're a cool band from New York. They're going to have music out. but a- Anyone in particular in the band we should know? No. 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 Okay. Anyway, uh, this is uh, the episode seven, where we're going to be talking about Wasting Light. We have a guest with us today, which I'm really excited about to introduce, but we'll do that in a second. Uh, where are we in the discography, Pete, before we, uh, we jump into it? We're in the year 2011. We have begun the 2010s trilogy. If you've been listening with us to this point, we have listened to six albums prior to this. And if you would like to listen to those episodes and hear our thoughts on them, go to Music Unsubscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. Just search us by that name. And the episodes will be out on Tuesdays and Fridays leading up to the release of Medicine at Midnight, February 5th, 2021. Foo Fighters' 10th studio album. That's exactly right. And we are 10 years from the current year, right? We're 10 years ago. We're yeah, in the, that's the, accurate, yes. Yeah, I think that's how the math works. We're in Wasting Light, but before we jump into Wasting Light, let's introduce our guest. He is a friend of ours and former DJ at WHRW. Uh, welcome to the show, Alex Bear. Hey, Alex. Do we have a studio audience? Well, I've just I've just filled in for the audience. Oh, okay. Know? 
we have to social distance here, but we have to still add. It's tough. Know. It's tough in these times. We can't. But we're we so We're not in the studio, but we're like we've got Alex on the Zoom. That's right, Alex. How are you doing? We're so happy to have you. Super. Th- thank you for having me. Um, I I don't know what new year it is you speak of. I only recognize that this is March two hundred and. 42nd of of the pandemic and oh, okay. whatever That's else true. 2020 was it, <laughs> we're all just waiting it, for april 1st it just keeps going i do day. know the feeling <laughs> but we included you alex bear on the show we're so happy to have you not only because as andrew mentioned you're a friend of ours from our days at whrw but you yourself are also a big foo fighters fan and are also a big fan of this record in particular uh with our guests, we like to begin by asking about your uh, sort of beginnings with the Foo Fighters, how you got into the band, uh, what about them you love so much. So we'd love to hear first your background on your experience with Foo Fighters. The Foo Fighters are the closest thing I can call to a, a family favorite in in the Bear family. My older brother got into them shortly before Echoes and Silence came out and to this day, I'm kicking myself because he, my dad, and maybe a couple of his friends went to the infamous Binghamton, New York show. So this was a, a few years before we we attended proper. I mean, we were in seventh, eighth, ninth grade at the time, but um, they drove through an actual snowstorm, like full-on lake effect blizzard down 81 and Every mile or so, they would see a car off the road, you know, lights flashing, but they made it and they got to see Serge Tankian on his solo career and uh, against me with Laura Jane before she came out um, as they were touring on New Wave and the Foo were singing for Echoes and Silence and it was it's still in the top five of, of his shows to this day. And he's seen, uh, he's been to triple digit concerts at this point. He blows out of the water, but he got going to do a show when they were still touring for echoes, um, at blue cross arena here in Rochester. And it just continued from there. Um, wasting light was one of the albums I listened to, pretty frequently early on in college. Um, I bought the Wasting Light making of documentary, which also chronicled the the history of the band. And just for a band like the Foo Fighters, you know, you you think about the the stereotypical classic rock acts where, you know, they they burn twice as bright but burn half as long. And Dave and the gang haven't done that. It's it's really remarkable that you can still put out an absolute banger of an album, you know, 20 years after your first one or 15, I guess. I you can't do numbers on the fly. But um, as I was researching for the show, I found myself singing just about every word to at least the first few songs of the album. And this is one of the few albums that I can listen to every song all the way through. I mean, even my favorite albums, like there's some tracks I'll just skip, you know, like it, it's, if, you, if you're just listening to it in the car, you know, may, might not flow well, especially if it's from like a concept album, but everything on, on this album is just perfect. And it's, 
it's not it's not an album by committee. I mean, there there are a lot of acts where you can make that argument. It's you know very prepackaged and meant to appeal to as many listeners as it can. But this is just a complete organic outgrowth from Dave Grohl's trashy dork punk roots and it all comes together in in the best way i want to somehow copyright that trashy dork punk roots because that is such a beautifully perfect it's a well described <laughs> i love description that. of i love that this record for sure but what i also and love in particular calling dork <laughs> no you're not a dork no what i love is oh, no, that I, I own it <laughs> what i love though is that your history sort of begins at Echo Silence, Patience and Grace. In our last episode, I mentioned a similar thing where for me, uh, you know, listening to iTunes, having genius be the way you sort of discover new music, that's how I learned about Pretender and the album thereafter. And so I'm glad that you and I are coming from almost a similar starting point in the timeline. But what's so great about this record, and you bring it up as well, that this is sort of also a converging point. All of us being in the radio station together, having this CD in the record library of the radio station, all of us playing at the same time, we're starting to get to a point in this discography as we're talking about it, where we start to derive personal experience from these records, not listening in retrospect saying, how would it have been to have listened to this at the time? What did it mean at the time in terms of growth? We are living it, we're in it, we're in the moment. And so here we are in 2011 with Wasting Light. This is a very different record from what has been previously discussed in the discography for one the album art features their faces we've never seen their faces on on a record to this point now we're seeing you know exactly who the Foo Fighters are though the pictures are a little mangled and you know in different colors but it's them those are all the guys is it supposed to be like you put on 3d you know the 3d glasses and then they like pop out is that like the maybe what what that's supposed to be yeah, like Taylor maybe, comes maybe in not first. Physical glasses, but if you're if you're taking a, a metaphysical substance or something that alters your perception of things, it, it might look a little different. Perhaps. Mm-hmm. Perhaps. I've but, never tried it. Me neither. <laughs> Don't do drugs, kids. PSA from music unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> What's also great about this record is that it is a very DIY sort of record. Dave went back home to Encino, California and said, We are doing this to tape. We're not making a digital record. I'm working with Butch Vig, the drummer of Garbage, and we are going to put together a raw rock record in however much time it takes. And we're going to make it happen. We're going to make it work. And I remember, I don't know if you guys remember, but there were actually snippets of the tape yeah. they used or the tape they claimed to have used in making the record packaged with the CDs and the vinyl. I and it was remember. in the radio station. Yes. I, when, I bought my, when I bought my CD copy, uh, this is the last Foo Fighters record that I bought on CD, at which point I switched over to vinyl. But I did, I did, it did come with a little snippet. I thought that was so cool. And, you know, see also watching the back and forth documentary where they talk, you know, the last half hour to 45 minutes of it or so is just them talking about the new record that they were making. So cool that you get to like, you feel like you're part of it again, community band, you know, right. that, like they're there for the fans. You get a little piece of it. Everyone feels like they're part of part of the making of this album. Have it's... you ever tried to listen to it? Like have, I, I, it would take a, a home rig, a, a lot of time and resources to splice that tape together. But I'm curious what track my, my 
piece of tape came from or if it was just like a a failed edit like oh man this is this you know this this take didn't go well you know nate was late and pat you know he hit a hit the wrong well i'm wondering if it's even just like one person it's just a snare hit yeah Mm. (laughs) you know or it's the it's the it's the it's the it's the space between snare hits you know? Oh, it'd be it'd be so bad if you get like a dead air. Moment. You got like you just or you just have like the sound of like the of the sound wave just kind of reverberating bef- in between hits. Dave burping. <laughs> yeah, that would that'd actually be worth a pretty penny. I would frame that. Oh, please. No, it's like it, it would, you'd have to go on an almost white album excursion. I think there's that one guy in the city or he has some sort of exhibit where he's collected as many different white albums as possible. You'd have to do the same thing with wasting light. Yeah. You have to find as many different copies, splice them all we together. We could splice them all together. It would make no sense. See what you get. Yeah. It would sound bad, but there would be would sounds. Sound. There would be sounds. It would sound. It would sound. And that's what, and that's what matters. <laughs> and this record we believe sounds fantastic. And so do many critics. This is the second time that the Foo Fires received a Grammy nod for Album of the Year. The first one was the last album we discussed, Echo, Silence, Patience, and Grace. This one receives that high watermark as well. But what we'd like to do uh, at this point in the discussion, we want to talk song by song about this album um, and really dive deep into what makes it one of our favorites. Let's begin with the first track, a really big opener, Bridge Burning. Oh, this, this, is, this is an opener. This is this has everything you want, and just screw. But I, but which is great because the first lines these are my fa- these are my famous last words. Yep, just start Ironically, off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> his famous first words. Bear, what was this like listening to the record for the first time, having Bridge Burning be the opener? What did that make you feel about this record? It made me feel a lot of different things, but I think the actual first time I started the CD, I accidentally hit the right arrow key on my laptop twice and accidentally started with rope. Oh no. So (laughs) I didn't actually know what bridge burning sounded like until about a day later when one of my best friends said, Oh my God, do you not love the hook? Like that, that intro riff is just amazing. I was like, what are you talking about? It's just rope. He's like, no, you go back go back like you have to listen to it here's like, a track one okay and i was like <laughs> texted him about a day later and i was like okay okay now i see what you mean i remember not loving i remember like when they were putting the stuff out i think white limo was the first thing that came out and that got me super excited because i had that's what we had talked about in previous episodes mm-hmm. i didn't i i had started to lose my interest in echo silence and was very much into dave's new project the them crooked vultures and so I was like, oh, he took a little bit of that heaviness from working with Josh Homme to this, you know, work, do the, the Lemmy thing. And then Rope, I was like, ah, but like this I really helped, I think, start off the record with the intensity that I was hoping for. And we all we all love from this. It, set, it sets you off on the right path, whereas like I felt like Rope doesn't quite start it off exactly the way. And that doesn't feel like the start of the record. No, no. So I could see why you'd be confused starting there. <laughs> Although Rope was the first single. Technically, yeah. in the same month, Rope and White Limo came out. Rope <laughs> was the, the first one. I think the thing that stands out to me on this one, this song exemplifies just how technical and how gifted these these you know musicians are the, as, as individuals. 
just, you know, you hear Taylor and almost peak Taylor Hawkins, in my opinion, the, the work he's doing on bridge burning to me, I was just blown away with how specific each note is. So that's a testament to Butch and the way they're recording, but how, how clean his drumming is, despite how hard the drumming is and just how intense it all is. I think it's no accident that bridge burning is number one on this, on this record. Yeah. But then it goes to rope. This was the first single, um, Tell me when this first came out, independent of the album, what do you think? Sure, I think Rope has a really cool guitar riff, which I didn't, I wasn't anticipating, because um, I think I heard White Limo first, so I was like, oh, this is gonna be like that super intense, you know, this this is gonna be the punk album that I've been like waiting for <laughs> the entire time. Because as I'd been listening to it, I w- loved the first album. I'd been listening to the second album. I was listening to a lot of the B-sides from like In Your Honor that were super intense, like FFL. And so like White Limo comes out and I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to get a record that's like super intense and angry. And then Rope came out. I was like, oh, I, okay, it's, it's fine. <laughs> it, it grew on me after. It's one of those things where like, I love the song, but I needed to have, I, need, I, I think I needed Bridge Burning to go into into it for me to feel like it's really great. I think it's one of the examples where, even though I do like it, it's the where the lead single is your least favorite song on the record, which is really just a testament to how great this album is. And we should note that you're also wearing a white limo t-shirt. So I am wearing I am wearing my white limo we t-shirt. We know where your where your interests where, yeah. Lie. But one of the things I love about this song too is it does showcase these five members. You have the drum solo break before the guitar solo, which really showcases that they have three incredible guitarists. Yeah. So it's really showcasing the entire band. Bear, what what were your thoughts on Rope? as being the second record, first single off of Wasting Light. I am going to echo Andrew because the, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of that saying comparison is the death of joy. And I would say that it might be my least favorite single from the album. And th- this is a testament to how I heard about the album. You know, this is a, for me, a pre-smartphone world. I, I still had a dumb phone. I wasn't glued to YouTube Red like I am now. And I listened to White Limo first. And then going back to Rope, I was like, yeah, okay. I was kind of hoping for more of the White Limo sound, but I'm interested to see what comes out after it. And I was like, this is just a fine song. And unfortunately, this kind of solidified my my uh, personal rituals before albums come out. I try not to listen to singles or watch trailers for movies as much as I can, because I don't want to have a preconceived idea of it outside of the, you know, that um, one way runtime. Like there, there's a very specific placement of the song in the overall uh, piece and just listening to it by itself. I mean, you know, you think about, uh, you know, you can watch the chalkboard scene from Jaws or the the scene where the the girls are growing the, the vegetables in My Neighbor Totoro, but, you know, it doesn't give you the full scope of the emotions that, that might happen in, in a, a story. And I, I think that's the 
the thing with rope is you know it really took getting to the the full album where i i was able to sit through and be like oh yeah this is this is a good reprieve you know you can't just keep sprinting from bridge burning to rosemary you know it's slowing things down it's making you more melodic and it's setting the stage for the next song while at the same time being a really great piece of its own so i'm glad then that your opinion wasn't shaken about Wasting Light from Rope because it sounds to me, my opinion of Rope is a little bit different in the sense I lean more pop-oriented in my music, more alternative. Mm-hmm. And so when I heard this, I thought, this is a cool Foo Fighters. I want to explore this this side of it more. But for you guys, maybe a little bit different. You wanted more White Limo. You wanted more Bridge Burning. So you weren't, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you weren't, concern this would be a bad album you just wanted to know that there was a little bit of what you know about Foo Fighters and what you appreciate about Foo Fighters somewhere in Wasting Light I think not concerned in the least yeah yeah it was not bothered by it because you trust you trust Dave you trust him to be able to deliver they've they've shown us six albums previously that I'm going that I'm going to like what they release right I'm not I'm not worried about it so they're, they're confident enough in themselves and in their audience to know that we can put this out and to confirm the exact date, March 1st of 2011, and wait 27 days to release White Lemo and say, they'll hold on for us. They've been with us for 10, you know, 15 years at this point, you know, or however long it's been. Um, two weeks between a pop single and a, and a punk single is going to keep them, you know, is going to keep them grounded and keep them in place. Uh, but that was the lead single. That's the second song on the record. It then goes into, as Alex Bear just mentioned, Dear Rosemary. So Bear, I want to go back to you first to tell us uh, how you felt about this being sort of the the cooling down period as you start this album, start this journey uh, through Wasting Light. This is hands down my, my favorite track on the album. Um, this was actually what led me to open up to Husker Du in my college years and Man, the, this the song gets the the frisian going. You know the the little hairs on your arm, the back of your neck going up. You know that that harmony that um, Dave and, and Bob Mold hit on uh, in the chorus is nuts. And you know we we talked a little bit about this as we were planning the show, but this song in particular, and you know Butch Vig's um, production overall had me wondering why Dave didn't do this sooner of, you know, really leaning back on his alternative uh, punk roots and, you know, just dorking out with it, you know, why? And, you know, it, it, it's a testament to, to Dave's musicianship that he can pull someone like you who hews more towards the, the pop side of things and, uh, you know, bring in all these diverse influences and still make an album that appeals to so many people. Um, but it's, I, I mean, that, that, that's a song, uh, you know, if I never listen to another Foo Fighters song and you play that on my deathbed, I'll be able to sing every word. Hmm. Wow. And for Dave, I, honestly, he may feel pretty similar because Bob Mould is one of his idols he's mentioned. Yeah. And so to bring him on in, in our record, Andrew, I mean, tell me how you feel about it. Uh, this this song, as well as several of the next four, maybe maybe not White Limo as much, but the, like Dear Rosemary or Landria these days, those three 
show me as we've been doing this listen back that they sh- they show me the growth in songwriting in musicianship that Dave and team have put together. We talked about on the last record that you know he folk they were focused more on songwriting. They're focused on like let me actually sit down with lyrics first and like write out. And I think that his time with you know the acoustic stuff, the echo silence stuff, really helped him kind of focus on being able to write a better rock pop whatever you want to call it song, just a song than he has in the rest of his career. Like these are still like rocking songs, but lyrically they're better than everything else that he's maybe then maybe not like, you know, times like these or Aurora, which we've talked about a number of times, but these like, these are some of his best, these are some of the best lyrics. And I think that because they've had time to actually work out how to write a good song, they've really benefited. And of course it doesn't hurt to have, people like Bob Mould or Butch Vig, who is also the producer for a number of great records, including the 1991 Nevermind that he uh, drummed on. Right. So there, there's a history there that helps build that level of trust and understanding of how to put this together. You hit it on the head. It's mature. It's complicated music. There's technicality here that hasn't been on some previous records. It's coming together really nicely in just the first three songs already. And it goes into, Andrew, I'm going to start with you because it's track four. It's the one that's on your shirt, White Limo. I, I, Tell me, what do you think? I love this song. <laughs> I knew it, you would. <laughs> I love this song. It's so fun. And it's, we've talked about it several times. You, you know who I, you know me. Yep. You know the type of music I like. Mm-hmm. This song really hits something very special to me where there are songs like Winnebago that we've talked about. There are songs like Weenie Beanie or Watershed from the first record. Mm-hmm. Stuff like The Color and the Shape that didn't make the record. They're like The Color and the Shape didn't make the album sake. Or FFL, which we talked about on the last, you know, on the In Your Honor episode, where that was one that I would have loved to have seen on the rock record, but it wasn't going to make it. I'm so happy that they let, they like, screw it let's let's put something insane let's put something really heavy on that sounds like motorhead but at the same time (laughs) you listen to the guitar solo bridge break whatever you want to call it and that's like it's that that has this like very pop alternative rock sound that's like accessible like it sounds heavy but accessible like this is a good song if you wanted someone to like hey i think you might like metal but you've never listened to metal. Like, you know, like you can give them this and this could be an intro to, this could be an intro piece into like the world of Black Sabbath or Motorhead. That's why I love this song so much. And what's crazy. The video is hilarious. Well, the video is hilarious, but also too, fun fact, it took Dave two minutes to write this song. Two minutes. Of course. <laughs> two minutes. This, I think the song is longer than how long it took him to write it. It's three minutes. It took him two minutes to write this. Uh, Bear, I got to know from you because I think you and Andrew um, definitely have some similarities in terms of that era, that that part of Foo Fighters that you love so much. Um, when you get to White Limo on this record, what are you feeling about it? Oh, Pete, I'm, I'm blasting it. I mean, <laughs> this lines up so well with where I think Dave was at. I mean, projecting completely from my own just preconceived notions of of this man I've technically never met. Um, that 
you know, it's coming out around the same time as ProBot and off the heels of his time with them crooked vultures that, you know, he's, he's just looking for a drop D <laughs> and I, you know, as for some reason, when Andrew was talking about Lemmy, it reminded me of that requirement he had, you know, this seven foot tall giant. He, he said, you know, you need to get a bigger mic stand because I want to be leaning up into the mic because that's how I'm opening my throat for these growls. And it's fitting that, that he was able to bring him on for something like this. Cause Dave, as I'm sure you guys mentioned and the color of the sh color and the shape, he is a demanding musician. There yep. is a reason why Dave Grohl is as accomplished as he is. And that's because he is uncompromising in his vision. Um, and maybe he's burned some bridges, wink, but <laughs> you know, he's, he's been able to ride a white limo his whole life because of it. And he makes amazing art like this. Yeah, I think you've that. you've hit the symbolism of the yeah. album, at least the A side of Wasting Light on the head, because well, that is something that, we talked about. Yeah. Something Go else ahead, I think that's really cool is uh this in some research I found that this at least the instrumental piece of this started as something from In Your Honor. And that kind of fits. You could find kind of hear like, oh, this is something like FFL or like the title track in your honor it was like oh this is kind of heavy but like oh no we're not going to go this heavy it's like oh let finally like no let's we're gonna we're gonna bring it we're gonna let it be this heavy it's gonna be okay it is for me when i first listened to this song was so surprising in its placement uh, because there is in my opinion no place where this song fits in terms of beginning or ending something it just has to be fit somewhere in the middle and you just have to be ready for it. You don't get to say, okay, White Limo feeds nicely into this song and then comes out nicely into the next one. It just ha it just exists in its own space. And that's why I think it was a single at one point. It, you know, Lemmy was a part of it for Motorhead in the in the music video, and it just gets its own sort of sort of designation. Well, we didn't record. have to ask you, do, do you love it? Do I love it? Yeah. Oh, of course I love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Look, All right. Look, no, 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 I love it. No, I have no criticisms about it. When I first heard it, I thought, oh my gosh, this is intense. And I remember, Andrew, because now we can connect personal experience to this album being on your show at WHRW. You must have played this song more than anybody else at various right. points when this came out. This came out in March. So we're talking spring semester of our whatever year this was i believe it my sophomore year junior year um and just completely you know just you know basically trying to rip the metal off of the cd playing how much we were playing this white limo being one in particular i think everyone gravitated towards a lot it then feeds into a song that's very different <laughs> very very different but as i said before there is no song that really goes right after this you're just the next one arlandria link that which... the way it always starts <laughs> A simple round of conversation, which became a shameful equation, moving from station to station. I digress. Our Landry is song number five. Andrew, what'd you feel about it? It's a great song. It's a great song, and they play it regularly. We haven't talked about the usually, you know, we've been talking as we usually do, like, oh, how how often are these songs played? A lot of these songs are played regularly. 
I hear from the many shows that I've been to of theirs, our Landry has come up every time since it came out. I, I saw them once on the wasting. I saw them once during the waste, twice during the wasting light tour. Saw them in, during Sonic Highways with UP, and I saw them three times during the last tour. They play it every time. Yep. And I don't think it's surprising that a song like Orlandria, even though Rope doesn't doesn't quite make that as the lead single, but Orlandria gets played these days. Gets played. Walk gets played. Almost every show. Because these songs are so great. And it's another song where, like White Limo had connections to In Your Honor, Arlandria has connections to There Is Nothing Left to Lose. There is a reference in both Arlandria and Headwires of the phrase, the sun is on Arlandria. So there again, Dave Grohl is, is putting the discography sort of in different elements of this one album. Uh, so yeah, I just thought that was back a really, to his, uh, very cool his reference. Virginia roots. We talked a lot about Headwires at the time and, and how that that song was impactful on that record. Uh, Bear, Arlandria being song number five, uh, tell me uh, your thoughts about it. it. It's another nice moment stitching the album together. You know, it's not looking to keep sprinting after White Limo. It's slowing things down, giving us a little bit of a breather. Um, I'm glad you mentioned, Andrew, that it's been featured so much in the live performances because I didn't really put that together. You know, White Limo has been played um, most of the times I've seen them. I I can't think offhand what each show I've been to they've started with, but Arlandria has featured, I think, more commonly than Dear Rosemary. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense. Um, this is something that comes up in the making of DVD back and forth. Um, but it always tickled me that, you know, when this multimillionaire platinum, uh, album selling artist Dave Grohl had hit an artistic brick wall and was facing the loss of his band. He went home, got drunk and passed out in his childhood bed in Arlandria, which it's just, it's so poetic and on point for a, a man like Dave Grohl and a band like the Foo Fighters is things aren't going well. We're going home. Mm-hmm. Interesting then, the lyric in the chorus, you are not me, Arlandria. You and what are me? It's his, as you're, as you're saying, you know, I'm going back home to collect myself and my thoughts and what's next in my life. But what happened doesn't define me. My home and running away to it doesn't define me. I'm going to grow from this. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to rise above this. Also depicted in the music video really nicely of a man in San Francisco being chased by these masked men. Um, running it's, it's essentially and i the way i interpret it dave running from his demons running from critics running from people who deny and, and 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 don't see a future for him being successful just being that drummer from nirvana that skinny guy with long hair what else could he do well this is, this is what else he can do and what comes after this is in my opinion one of the best songs on the record comes right smack dab in the middle one of the biggest songs i think in in live shows uh is probably one of the most exciting to hear um, in addition to the classic stuff, these days, um, 
It's probably mm-hmm. one of their best songs. It's one probably of one of the best songs that they've written. Period. It's top five for me. It's top five for me. Uh, Alex Bear, I'd like to start with you on these days. Uh, tell us about uh, this record for you. Um, I will start off by saying this might be one of my mom's favorite songs, which is saying something. She is definitely not as musically involved as, as you, Andrew. Um, and it's only something I'm learning more and more as, as I get older and ask her more in-depth questions of like, what what did you listen to? Because it turns out my mom was a, a bit of a hippie and a, a great deadhead. And, you know, when this album came out, you know, my brothers and I were passing rope and walk back and forth with each other. You know, we're talking about the riffs in White Limo. And my mom is just like, no, I I just want to listen to these days. It's going on a playlist with Kenny Loggins singing about Winnie the Pooh and um, some of the quieter songs that Yes has made. You know, she had carved out a nice soft rock um, home for herself in, in the Bear family. And this song is just so effusive with, with its feels. Um, you get a good sense uh, of Dave's heart. And um, I I hate to keep referencing back and forth, but it is required reading for, for any Foo Fighters fan because you get to see Dave grapple with his feelings of everyone who has been a part of the Foo Fighters, you know, people he, he's hurt um, the times he's been hurt and, you know, all of this love he's put into this work over 30 frickin' years, and this song is just that in a love letter. Andrew, tell me how this record makes you feel. I mean, I think Alex really nailed it, to be honest. That was that was definitely a, a winning, uh, winning description of this song, but it's it's incredible. It's as I said, this is one of those songs that really shows that they've grown, that Dave has grown as a lyric writer, as a songwriter. This is for sure one of the best songs that's come out by them since like probably as good, if not better than Best of You. I remember like thinking like Best of You is like the first Foo Fighter song I heard, but like this is like as a song, this is, is, which gives feels of course. And, you know, so, but so does Everlong and, so does times like these, but this song is like really special. I think what you're touching on and what Bear's touching on um, are exactly right. I'm going to take it a step further because I believe the connections we have to Everlong, Best of You, the big songs, the songs that sell tickets to go to shows and keep them, you know, in nice houses with nice things and, and keep them in, you know, at the status that they're at. We've talked about this, Bear, just so you understand. In our second episode with our guest, Brett, he talked about the songs that pay the bills. And songs like Everlong and My Hero and, and, and even Big Monkey Me. Wrench. They pay Monkey Wrench. They pay the bills. They get, they get butts and seats at shows. These Days does that too. But it does something else that's even more incredible. It, in a vacuum, explains everything you need to know about the Foo Fighters. I can take that song, pull it out of Wasting Light, drop it anywhere else or put it on a CD or vinyl by itself. And you know what you need to know about the Foo Fighters. You know that Dave Grohl is a fantastic lyricist. You know 
that his supporting band of Pat, Chris, Nate, and Taylor are all completely in sync with him. You know that they play big shows. You know that they have reached a superstar status, all because this song exists. Dave called this the best song he's ever written. And some people may feel differently about other songs, but the man who writes his own music and says this is the best he's ever put out, it's hard to not agree. And for me, when I heard this song, there's very, very few songs I ever listened to in all the music I've ever listened to where I can listen to this song and in only one play of it, know exactly what it's about and what it means, how it makes me feel, exactly what the message is. This song does it. It's in my top five of songs. I imagine it's in the top five for many other people. But if you want in four minutes, five minutes to understand the Foo Fighters as they are today, what they represent, why you should go to shows, why we even talk about them on this podcast and spend 10 episodes doing so, these days is a microcosm of the whole picture of why this is, you know, the band that it is and how fantastic they are. So getting off the soapbox. I will will take I will take a a quick moment to give you a round of applause because that was an excellent, excellent description. Dave would be proud. Dave, if you're listening, you you should, you know, tell him that that was nice because I I would love to hear praise from from Dave, from any of them, from Butch, whoever. Yeah. Come on the show. The Come Zoom on. is always open. Yeah. I feel like we say that in every episode. The Zoom is always open. The Zoom is open, but they, they're not one hearing day it because we're not, we're not live. One day they are going to hop on without even our knowledge. They're going to find the link somehow. We're just going to be completely blown away. But these Dave, days... If you're listening, amazing. I don't know how you did shots of gin with Emil in New Orleans in... <laughs> I don't know what year that would have been 2016, whatever year he was down there for Sonic highways, but he actually did shots with uh, an old friend of mine um, when Emil was still living in new Orleans. And I am deeply envious and I will die mad that I was not (laughs) there for this moment. (laughs) But maybe when we're all able to travel and be together, that will be a, bucket list item we can check off we're so, all going to do shots together with dave Grohl. dave if you're listening <laughs> come on the show we'll do Pete, shots we'll do zoom shots I'm, I'm, and we'll ask our 21 questions Bear, what were you saying <laughs> I, i'm i'm so glad you mentioned the emotional side of things because you know as, as the, the stereotypical cis man i have a hard time feeling my emotions and conveying them but this is one of like five songs that can get me weeping and it's it's something that i really cherish in in art and um my partner is a a music therapist and the the way that they talk about music and you know they um they have friends who work with um people at the end of their lives and um, it's actually kind of a, a meme in music therapy circles that, um, you know, the, the people who went through and got their bachelor's or master's in the last few years, you know, they're learning things from 50, 60 years ago. So they're starting to have to learn like more Aerosmith, whereas before they were learning like doo-wop and mm. big band stuff. <laughs> and I think that when I am old and gray and arthritic, I will be demanding that some poor graduate from Fredonia or Tish is singing me these days on a ukulele or a theremin. Can you imagine that day? It's like one day I I need to hear, you know, 
I need to hear like some dead mouse just to <laughs> at some point. Like the the kind of I want of you stuff. to live play Daft live Punk play Discovery. <laughs> exactly. I will give you the pad myself. But but you are but I'm I'm glad that you know we have all hit that emotional note with this song, and with this band in general. The fact that we can get there with this band shows how strongly we're connected to it. We hope you listening are as well as we continue through Wasting Light here. We're into the second half of the record. Uh, we've already listened to an incredibly impressive side A. We're on side B at this point with track seven, Back and Forth. Andrew, tell me about Back and Forth. So Back and Forth is also takes gives its name to the documentary that we were you know, previously talking about. Yep. This song, it's it's... It's interesting because the first six songs, the first half, more than half of this record is just, maybe it's not hit after hit, but it's just amazing track, amazing track, amazing track, you know, very unique, very like nothing else could be it. This is the first track where it's like, I, I usually not dwindle from it, but listening back, I love this song and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, but it's not like it has the most like, it's like, th- this is the one It's probably the song where I'm like, ah, oh, okay. It's it's fun. It's probably it probably is like it's like a fun bounce around song, but it's not yeah. like my not not my favorite. It's like it's 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 kind of in my opinion the brightest song on the record. This could be interpreted in terms of maybe even you know early '60s pop rock. Like you 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 could put that sort of beat behind it, and this and it, it it maybe works because it just it has that tone behind it that seems fun. Peppermint and incense, or. Sort of like a like a sixties like <laughs> late sixties like you got the late sixties you got that look at that organ sound I'm yeah. looking for some back and forth <laughs> with you I don't know throw a little Devo in there <laughs> uh, now Alex I want to hear the monkeys sing back and forth so one of you needs to find a time machine and just give that track to them we're working on it. I can absolutely see that. I could absolutely see the monkeys, but that also <laughs> points to the to this band that we we talk about. They love you know, they love Motorhead, they love the monkeys, they love Paul McCartney, they love ABBA. Yeah. It's, it's very like it's it's fun to have these things that are seem very different all come together, you know, in a fun way. So, as Dave Grohl said in an interview, my kids love ABBA. My mom loves ABBA. I love ABBA. You know, like <laughs> How could you not? Um, but Alex, I want to hear your thoughts about Back and Forth, the song. What would you think? Andrew, I don't entirely disagree. I know where you're coming from. It's the next song for me where yeah. I, I it, it, it's occasionally a, a skip if, if, I'm, if I'm being honest. But Back and Forth, you're right. It, it does lose the golden thread of the album for like a little bit. Um, still has a good amount of momentum. I mean, it it's a testament to how difficult it is to sustain an album. And, you know, it, it's not through produce. You know, they didn't play each song individual or, um, you know, they, they didn't have one going take where they played Bridge Burning into Rope into Dear Rosemary. I mean, they, they, would, they would die if they had to do it all in one go like... Uh, one of those Russian art house movies where it's just shot in, in yeah. one take. Well, it's not, uh, yeah, it's not a, uh, yeah. Birdman, you know, the, the movie yeah, Birdman, Birdman, but it's also not, it's also Redman. not rush. The Red yeah. Uh, this also isn't rush where like every song is interconnected in that same way. There's the themes that all seem to connect it, but it's not like, it's not like, Oh, this is all part of the same song, same story. And it has to be played all at once. You're not going to see 
I don't think you're going to see Foo Fighters do a wasting light in full performance, at least not since uh, they did the garage tour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, this is the this is the filler arc. If if you're an anime or superhero cartoon fan, like that, and there's nothing wrong with filler. Filler it's... can be a great moment for character development and to explore some things that aren't immediately heavy. But it's just it's not going to be a banger. I was going to say it's uh, to to connect to anime as we were saying. Avatar: The Last Airbender has some excellent episodes mm-hmm. that are not moving the plot forward but are incredibly important still you don't i, I if you you can't take this and i've said it on several other albums before that like no this isn't necessarily the hit but if you remove it the entire like feel of the of the album goes away i think if you pull you can't like take this song out and have it be a mm-hmm. 10 track thing and have it still feel the same so then when we get 100%. to the next track a matter of time how does that feel as maybe more filler, maybe another skippable record? I don't know. What, what do you think about it? Uh, I love this one. So I, I felt that way initially about this song as well as miss the misery. The, all three of those were like, to me, like, Oh, these don't move anything forward for me or, you know, most of the way there until we get to, I should have known. I changed my mind on that, on this song, specifically after seeing the Letterman performance when they, they did the entire, I think they also did the entire album there as well and i think it part might have been the chorus it might have been the that it's just a matter of time before before that chris shefflett sings which i was like oh that's cool you don't see him sing backup vocals very often uh but then i think it, it like that the riff in the the bridge i think really pulls it together for me because you have the interplaying guitars which is something that you now have three guitarists and that's like a great way to use them. Instead of just being a wall of sound, having three different guitar parts going that interlock together. And you don't see too much of that with their, their it's pretty riffy, their music, but like there's a there's a handful of songs moving forward that do this really well. Part of one of them is uh, like the last track of Sonic Hi- of Sonic Highways in the beginning of the song. They have like a really cool three-part guitar intro which is awesome but this is one of the few songs that really shows off the we have three guitars and they're all technically good and we get to and we get to show off a little bit for like a tiny section of the song before it becomes like a Foo Fighter song so I I like this one more than uh back and forth it's not necessarily Arlandria or these days but it's it's still an awesome song I think for you Bear it's it's maybe flipped is is a matter of time Maybe the skippable, more skippable one than back and forth. What, what what do you think about it? Yeah, this one is this one, and I can't think of any other ones that that I would put up here. And I I feel bad, um, but if if I could do the the Topher Grace you know meta cut of of the prequel trilogy, like I would just throw this back into in your honor. It it kind of feels like an idea that Dave had that ended up on the cutting room floor and an album or two back, you know, it's a, it's a great riff. It's got a great um, body to it. Um, Discussing it like it's a a Bordeaux wine. Um, Is it dry? (laughs) Yes. It's a real dry red. Um, 
but yeah, it's a, it's a great song. If I'm listening to just that, it's wonderful. But in, in the, the full album, um, it, that one more, more than any of the others, I'm like, yeah, I'm getting a little tired. I, I gotta go to work. It's, it's skip this one. I agree with both of your sentiments, 100%. It takes us to track nine, Miss the Misery. Uh, Andrew, we'll start with you on your thoughts about this one. This one has a really cool riff that I like, the, the riff right when it, when it kicks off. Uh, this is also the one that they, the, the line Wasting Light, which gives the, yep. uh, the album its name. That's right. Uh, this was definitely not my favorite track on the record. It definitely felt like this is the song that pushes us to I should have known. But when before listening. we get there, before we get there though, Alex, I want to uh, throw it over to you to your thoughts about Miss the Misery. I don't understand how you can't make this into an overproduced mess, like combining all of those flavors together and it doesn't feel like a jumbled mess. You know, for a smaller band, like, you know, someone we would have booked in the WHRW days, like, a, you know, if um, Dale Earnhardt Jr. Jr. had the just one of these as like the main lick, it would have been the bop of the summer. Like, Oh my yeah. God, like li- listen to that. You know, he's absolutely shredding that guitar and they have three of that plus a baseline that is way more present than nineties Metallica. I don't know how they do it. That's the power of this band. That's why we talk about them because there is a depth here. <laughs> Just because they've been together for 25 years and not 50 or more, doesn't make them any more revered. It really shows how listenable yeah. this record is. Even the songs yeah. that we're saying, like, oh, these aren't like, these aren't the best songs on the record. And we're sitting here like, they're still there's still so much. There's so much that's involved, and you could pull it yeah. apart for hours. Let's now get into the tenth track on this album. Before we really dive into it, I just want to point out. In almost every single episode prior to this one, I usually bring up at some point the age-old classic Foo Fighters question that's always getting asked of Dave Grohl, and that is, is this song about Kurt Cobain? Okay, what about this one? How about this one? This one, this one, this one, this one. And a couple of times I thought maybe I found it. I think I found it, and I'll explain. Track 10, I Should Have Known, features and i believe andrew correct me if i'm wrong this is the first time at this point in this discography where a former nirvana member the only one that could be formerly nirvana is on this song chris novoselic he's here playing accordion a little bit of all things but he's here and the lyrics point very much to a conversation with a person who he feel he didn't know as well a person who he feels he should have known better a person whose actions he should have taken more seriously. So obviously tell me your thoughts about the song, but I'm going to tee it up to Andrew to start. Have we finally hit on it? Have we found the song where we are talking about Kurt Cobain? I think we might, I think we might have, I'm going to to let that one. Yeah. I think, I think this is definitely a song that has him. It could be other people as well in his life that kind of fit that he's, been around a lot of musicians and a lot of people who do things you know we, we, we've talked about how uh taylor hawkins ODing it affected the one by one yep. and the in your honor songs as well so it, it, i think it's i think that one person in particular that would probably fit with this song would be kurt but probably about probably has a few other people in in mind as well 
this is a great song it's the i think it's the, it's the only really slow song it's the only like quiet yes. song on this record yes which is great yeah it has uh he brings back a lot of the people from the skin and bones tour on this one i mean rami who's mm-hmm. at this point basically in the band uh but you know they bring back violin they've got jesse green uh playing violin who i believe was on the last record too for a couple of songs we should probably at some point cover not we don't have to do right now but at some point cover like everyone who's been involved like every foo collaborator everyone who's helping them fight you know the foo fight the foo (laughs) fight the good fight (laughs) but one of the things i love about this song is that it does start very soft and then becomes with as the emotion you know builds with every verse becomes a very very heavy song Mm -hmm. he does play accordion but he also performs the bass solo it's very specifically like you hear the bass that's being played it's like that's nirvana that's a that's a nirvana sound maybe not necessarily the the line the bass solo he's not known for playing bass solos but like tone wise, like that's that's Chris Novoselic's tone. You can't avoid it. So it's like you do have a lot. You do have that Nirvana connection, and it was very compelling when they were discussing it during the during the documentary. And they're talking about how you know we've got Butch Vig who you know did Nevermind. It's twenty years from from Nevermind having been recorded and released. I've got Pat's in the band. He was in Nirvana. You now have, you know, Chris is in the studio with them. It's the first time in forever. And they're, you know, he's got, and they're talking about Kurt and all these things. And then you have, it like cuts into the the heavy part of this song and with the bass line. And it's just very emotionally uh, satisfying. Alex Bear, for you, is this about Kurt Cobain? Before we go further, I'm I'm going to loop back to Andrew saying, you know, we, we should do a, a show about everyone who's been in the Foo Fighters, you know, fighting the Foo. And that just made me think of Christopher Walken and the, the anecdote about, you know, like leaning over to Dave Grohl and saying like, so how do you, how do you, what's the name of your band? Introducing Foo Fighters. I like that 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 your Christopher Walken had a tinge of Ringo. I don't know if that was intentional, but it, it had a little <laughs> bit of Ringo in there. I thought that was great. I really think that was helpful. I've, I don't think I know Ringo Starr's voice from Krusty the Crab or Krusty the Crabs. Oh my god! The, the, the Krusty Crab oh. is the uh... <laughs> Mr. Krabs. Mr. Krabs. Crunchy the Clown featuring Mr. Krabs. <laughs> Uh, but yes, oh. I, I, I've seen that that interview. It's one of the best interviews I've ever seen. It's so fine. Ladies and gentlemen, Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters. Or even with uh, Charles Barkley. It's like, hey, hey, mom, look, Nirvana. Hey, mom, your favorite. Nirvana. Nirvana. <laughs> but uh, Barry, tell us, uh, what, what do you think about this record? What, what were your thoughts on it? It is definitely the saddest it is the drop at the bottom of the album that lets you swing back into walk um it's another one that causes the hairs on the back of your neck to go up and i always 
chuckle when I, I think about, um, you know, people being asked like, Oh, is this song about that? Like, is, is this the Kurt song or, um, you know, the, like Red Hot Chili Peppers dealt with this, um, to, to a, a good amount, you know, scar tissue. And, you know, I, I think about all the other bands who have experienced a significant loss, you know, uh, Metallica, Baroness with their bus crash, like, is this the song that does it? It's like, I don't know that it's a binary switch that we can flip on and off. I mean, he's, he's probably poured a lot of the self-loathing. I mean, the, the first album, he kind of alludes to the fact that he was in a significant funk and he didn't want to make any music and him making the, the original Foo Fighters demos was just kind of a way to get out of his own head about Kurt. I think this is probably the closest we're going to get to a song about um, a best friend committing suicide, at least for Dave. Um, but I... I, I'm I'm of the opinion that there's no song, no one song about about him, but they're all about him. I, that's that's a good observation. I like that. I like that. I can understand that. Um, and I should have known this soft build-up song takes us to what I believe is the best last song on any Foo Fighters record, from what we've talked about before, and probably what we will talk about after. I say probably because there's a tenth album that isn't out yet walk andrew walk is great when i first listened to this record we got you get to the end and i thought no this this should be the single and it was right before they were doing it uh it was like you know right before they went on snl and they did a rope and then they did this song is the second song and i was so proud i was like yes guys you this is the best song on the record what are you doing you know these days it's yeah. like it's tied for me walk is such a great song. And it's a really fun one to end on. They talk a lot about every, every album is their last album. You can end every album. You know, you should listen to it where that last song, that's probably the last thing you're going to hear by Foo Fighters. We're going to break up and that's going to be it. This along with these days is probably my favorite song of the record. This is another one that it feels like it's coming. It's coming from a real place. It's coming from, he's talked about how it's him teaching his daughters how to walk and it's like he's learning how to walk again but it also is coming from a place that feels like it's it's about like learning to heal and grow out of something that is difficult or tough in anyone's life you know it could be as simple as learning to walk or you know you or just like learning to deal with moving forward after a, like a difficult relationship or something it, it's universal which is incredible like the just the concept of healing and growing and the idea that you know you know they say that you know dave says that like every out al every album is the last album we need to you know he's every every record is the last one and you're gonna you know this is the last song you're gonna hear this is a great this is an awesome song to have that kind of thought obviously they didn't but like listening to this song as the, like the last as the conceptual last Foo Fighter song with him screaming, I never want to die. I'm on my knees. <laughs> I'm on my, so I'm praying for a sign. Yeah. It's a great closer and could be an, it's an excellent finishing chapter of this record. And it's one of their best songs and every show I've been to, they've played it. 
And I'm really happy that this song has been on there. Same with Best of You and yep. These Days and Everlong. And such a fantastic music video too. Hilarious. Oh, yeah. oh very funny. <laughs> very funny music video. The fact video. that Taylor and Chris, and Chris play different roles in almost like simultaneous scenes. At first, they're trying to jump Dave and then they're playing at a golf course and then they're in the studio. Great music video. Highly recommend that you listen to it as a great visual to the song. Uh, Alex, tell us your thoughts about Walk. It's draining having to pour all of your heart and soul into a band and create this music and there's a lot of you have to deal with and sometimes you just got to pick yourself up and learn to walk again and it's it's great to be able to learn how to do that again like find yourself with new people and i i think it's fitting that you know as people who discovered the foo fighters through you know their later albums that we're talking about it in this way um that um you know, it, it speaks to, to Dave's working class roots and brilliance. You know, he's he's not coming at it with, with clinical terminology of, you know, saying, you know, oh, yeah, you know, there's there's so much ability that your brain has to, to bounce back from something. He just says, you know, sometimes, like, you get knocked down, you get up again. And I'm not, I'm not going to pivot into tub thumping but um it's just such a great way to end the album and potentially end the band and um i remember seeing them in toronto this would have been 2018 um i was going through a really awful time in my life um and I was waiting to hear back on a, a new job, the job that I'm currently in. And, you know, him singing about about all these tribulations that you can go through in life. You know, you can hit what you feel is your lowest and you can still do it. You know, just because you're going to have baby steps or just because you're going to need the training wheels back on for a little bit doesn't mean you're not going to be running in a little bit you just got to learn to walk again and a, I, I remember that moment broke me in the show <laughs> it's such a great moment and one that i think he can speak from experience too he's been knocked down certainly um emotionally uh you know and, and has come back up in the the most amazing way um i want to play a little game of what if with you guys on this song because in this is one of the very few instances where we really know where in the history of songwriting for the Foo Fighters this exists. This song was supposed to be on Echo Silence, Patience and Grace. And Dave decided at the last minute, let's put it on Wasting Light because it sort of speaks to those themes better and is a better way to end the record. That just coming from the previous song with such a downtrodden view of a, of a best friend, you come into this light and this brightness. How would you guys have felt if this song were on Echo Silence, Patience and Grace, starting with uh, Andrew? I probably would have been happy to have heard it then, but it fits so much better here. Mm -hmm. And having it close the record here, I don't know how this record, as usually we've, in the past, we have done the, you know, uh, backseat producer and, you know, played around with, oh, if we change these songs or this, I can't change a single song on this one. I can't change, I, I wouldn't change any order. I wouldn't do anything with it. 
I'm very happy that they waited to put walk here. Same thing that I'm happy that uh, white limo wasn't finished for in your honor and that it waited until it got to here because it fits so much better in this time frame than it does. It, it makes more sense here than it does four years ago or whatever it was from Echo Silence. Bear, what about you? How would, how would you have felt if walk were on Echo Silence instead of Wasting Light? This is one of those moments that, you know, because of my personal composure, I'm not going to do this and ruin the, the take, but I would have jumped to my feet and cast the chair down and said, God, no. <laughs> um, you know, miss the misery maybe, but um, I just, I just can't jive with how that would have felt on the back end, you know, with, home and statues and stranger things have happened you know um what what's the the blue it was blue or black that's uh, in your honor yeah oh okay poor poor memory on my part but (laughs) um yeah i just i don't think it would have meshed well tonally with with the rest of the album um with what they were doing after um you know, uh, let it die in long road to ruin. Um, I think it would have been lost in the noise. And I think had they kept it on echoes, this show would have been talking about, Oh man, this, this would have made so much more sense at, at the end of, of wasting light. I can't believe they ended it with, um, rubber baby buggy bumpers, the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can't imagine what the track listing would have been, uh, if they had removed it, and it was let's say it was 10 songs instead without walk what's what happened do you end on i should have known that's no way. that no, no way. does it end on white lemon the- <laughs> how about that <laughs> I was say, does it end on our land on like these days that's the only other song mm. you can imagine that could be an ender but not could even be. really like it, like this detroit like the walk is exactly where it, it needed to be the last song and it, it they would have had to write a new song I think they would have just had to write a new song to be the closer of this record. Interesting. I honestly, I, because we've listened to it now for, you know, 10 years, it's hard to imagine it any different way. Uh, But this is the official studio album. We'll get into B sides in a minute, but this is it. These 11 songs, this is wasting light. This is what we've grown up with and talked about. So in summary, I'd love to hear you guys' final thoughts on the album in general. I love it. <laughs> Simply put. Simply put, it. I love it. Bear? Dave Grohl knows exactly what it is. It, he has a lot of influences. Um, Pat, Nate, um, they're all bringing in their own thing. And it feels like a very cohesive perfect alternative rock album it's a classic it's emblematic of of the the late aughts early tens what i something that's so great about it is that i think that with these songs with where they have been before having started listening to them in 2005 six years later they've just been pumping out these amazing songs 
this, and as most people have put critically, this album is the late career gem. It's yep. the late, it's the, you know, one of their best records, if not their best record. And it's an incredible testament to how good they are that, you know, most bands after 10 years, 15 years from where they are currently don't have that in them to make a next amazing record to make a right. Re- this is the best record since the color and the shape. And most people couldn't say that. Most people, most bands couldn't make that. If they had a record like The Color and the Shape, there's no topping it. There's no coming close to it. You just, they're, they're aiming for it. Whereas this doesn't, they're not aiming for The Color and the Shape, but they're, they're definitely at a quality that is at par with it. They've seen that height and they say, we can hit that. We can, we can jump over that. We could probably do it. Now, Bear, one thing I want to ask you, we're at this point in our discussion where we will get to the B-sides, I promise, but we have finished the studio album. And at this point, I feel we are confident that we can rank their discography to this point. So as a reminder, we are at the seventh album in the discography. In chronological order, we have the 1995 Foo Fighter release, The Color and the Shape from 1997. There is Nothing Left to Lose from 1999. One by One from 2002. In Your Honor from 2005. Echo Silence, Patience, and Grace from 2007, and Wasting Light from 2011. Andrew, I'm going to begin with you. How do you rank the discography at this point? Well, we've, I know you have it written down where, I, where I'm at at this point. As I've, as is fairly obvious from my interest in this band, I think it's, it could be seen where this would be. It's at the top. It is not, I've, I've been thinking about this for the last, two weeks since we last recorded, we took a quick break. I, I've been thinking about it since then. I don't, <laughs> I've been, and even during this episode, it has flipped between one and two. And I think I can confidently say that this is, this is going to take the silver as it has in my previous rankings. I think the color and the shape is amazing. And it's, it has certain things that are more emblematic of all the greatness, but this, this record does define what the expectation is from the like for the last 10 years and what I'm looking for from Foo Fighters in the last 10 years. So I'm going to put this at a number two between the color and the shape at number one and the 1995 self-titled debut at three. And then from there we have, correct me if I'm wrong, in your honor. No, I think no, I, in your I think I moved. There's nothing left to lose. There's nothing left to lose. Then number in your three. honor, number four, or number uh, five at this point. Echo silence. Echo silence. One by one. Then by one by one. Yes. Right. And where does that? And where do you go? And where do you go, Peter? Well, here? I want to. I want to take it over to Alex Bear. Uh, if you have your listing, uh, where would you put? Um, this this ranking from Wasting Light to 1995's Foo Fighters and that seven album span. What's your what's your order of favorite albums? I have a hard time saying who is you know ranking in the middle, but I think I think you have to put Wasting Light at the the head of the pack. I think as an album, it is the best together, but that on Color and the Shape, you have the 
some of the better songs like Everlong, My Hero, um, Monkey Wrench, you cannot replace those. Those are S tier. Um, but I think Wasting Light makes a better cohesive masterpiece than than Color. Um, so maybe Color at a, at a, at a number two. Um, and then it's it's a real cop out to to say that they're all tied, right? Um, I, I would you can one though. by you can. one is probably my 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 least favorite. Um, it feels so weird because uh, I know that the the debut is discounted by by some. Um, I can't name names. I don't think I've met a single person who has cared enough about Foo Fighters not to also put that in in their top rankings. Um, but I, I have such a hard time parsing between the debut, There's Nothing Left to Lose, and Echo's Silence in terms of, like, yes, th- this is on a different level than this one. I mean, they're they're all a, at least A tier, um, and Wasting Light is, is up at S tier. My ranking is like this. Number one for me, without question, is Wasting Light. So that's number one. Number two is The Color and the Shape. Three is 1995's Foo Fighters. Four is Echo Silence. Five is In Your Honor. Six, There Is Nothing Left to Lose. Seven, One by One. That is my ranking. Now, I only give my rankings based on my personal opinion. I don't try and think, well, what do the people like? What, what sells tickets? What, what makes them successful? No, it's just it's, it's me. That's how I would rank this discography. Everyone's is going to be different. Most probably have color in the shape towards the top. Fine, no problem. But here's what I also think about. Going back to WHOW, the thing that I love so much about the radio station beyond the people that were there was that the record library was a physical collection of all the music that we loved, and especially of the music that we loved that was coming out at that time. You have to keep in mind, we were in school from about 2010 to 2015, 16. That is our window between the 2009. Oh, 2009, I'm sorry. 2009 2009 to 2016. That's about our window of when we were in college listening, you know, understanding from labels that were that once talked to us what the AAA titles were, what was getting a lot of spins, and what we were getting in the radio station or what we were purchasing to put into the record library. Wasting Light came to us on CD. I don't know if, Andrew, you bought it. I don't know if it came to us for free, but we got it right around the time it came out. And I always judged how great a record was and how popular a record was by the quality of the record after spending a couple of months in the record library. The more beaten up that CD case was, the more scratches that CD had, the better that record was. And here are, in my recollection, some of those records. Arcade Fire's Suburbs was completely destroyed within about a month of it being in our record library. Uh, Black Keys El Camino was ripped to shreds. Yeah. Adele's 21. Yes, we played Adele's 21 at WHW, free format radio people. Anything from Vampire Weekend, Foster the People's debut album, something from Gary Clark Jr., definitely, definitely Frank Ocean's Channel Orange. But up there with that, with just as much dirt, grime, tears, and scratches was Foo Fighters Wasting Light. But here's the amazing thing. No matter how many scratches it got, no matter how many people wrote on it, no matter how many people tore pages out of the songbook, the film, the piece of film stayed in there. The piece of film was never removed. People loved this record. They respected this record. 
they wanted to keep playing it and keep it as as pure as possible because that's what Dave wanted was to keep this record as pure as possible. He recorded it to tape for that reason. And I think knowing that, knowing how I feel about the record, all that together, that experience connected with the songs, for me, it has to be one, has to be number one. There is no higher. So that's my, that's my take. And shout out to WHW Binghamton, you know, free format radio. That's where we all began, uh, you know, being on the air. That's why we podcast. <laughs> but let's talk about the B-sides. Let's get into yeah. it, shall we? Um, so it begins really with, there are many B-sides here. It's only There's two. two. There's but only there is, two. There is one official B-side, which is Better Off. Yeah, which I've only, I listened to the first time um after we watched after we did the last episode and i started doing research for this episode i listened to the song for the first time and it's okay it's fine <laughs> uh it's it doesn't belong on this record it is it, it sounds okay but it doesn't it, i wouldn't take anything off i wouldn't add it on the 11 tracks that are on there are perfect in the order that they're in and uh it's cool that there's another foo fighter song out there but that's about as far as i go <laughs> with this with this song uh, Alex, was there anything about Better Off when you listened to it that made you feel like maybe it should be on the record? Maybe you liked it enough that it could be part of it. What'd you think about it? I think Wheels is always going to be the the gold standard of, oh, why couldn't they find something else for this? Because that, that just got thrown in on the, the, the greatest hits. And it's like, that could have been like a digital download on skin and bones or you know you you could you could have hidden a tape of it and there's nothing left to lose and it would have been perfect but eh. <laughs> forgettable that's, yes. and, and that's what it's a b-side cool. is meant to do yeah it, it, i think it's one of those things where if they it might have had something more to say if they did put out like a b-sides collection and they yeah. would immediately after this of covers that's right but if they took their original recordings and made a b-sides like b-sides collection this song could have been like a cool one like a cool single from that wheels could have or word forward could have meant a little more there but it didn't and that's that's where it is you know another one uh alex bear just so you know uh because we talked about b-sides that could have made uh you know the official track listing andrew and i talked about how normal could have been on that list you know if, if normal may have made it to a, uh, an official track listing that could have maybe been one b-side that uh deserved that recognition but better off we're better mm-hmm. off that it's a b-side i guess is, <laughs> yeah. is what we're saying about it um and then there is probably one of the most confusing b-sides um i don't even know if you call it a b-side it's actually a remix and surprise surprise it was what was played at the grammys the night that the foo fighters were being honored for their album of the year it's a dead mouse remix of rope. It is something is the best way I could describe it. <laughs> it's music. It's I didn't hate I, it. No, I don't hate it either. It's I remember watching the Grammys that year and thinking this is strange uh, that they, they played the song for the through the chorus and then shifted over to the dead mouse version. I remember thinking that was strange and it's, it is weird because you don't put these things together. But one of the things I do like about the remix is that it highlights the vocal harmonies that Taylor Hawkins and Dave Grohl mm-hmm. sing. Yes. When they do the jump on a kiss. <laughs> that, that it really highlights that thing. And I was like, oh, that's cool. It's like, which helps when you go back and listen to Rope. So 
listening to the remix actually did help my appreciation of the original because I initially I was like, Oh, it's fine. But being able to hear the vocal melodies and harmonies and that it's super. I want to know how they decided that this would be the pairing. It's like, okay, Dave, meet dead mouse, dead mouse, Dave, we're going to take your single and we're going to remix it into something that may be played in Ibiza. You know, (laughs) it's I, Alex, um, what did you think about the Dead Mouse remix of Rope? I think Dead Mouse Five ran into Dave Grohl at a party and was like, "Dude, we should totally work together." And <laughs> they personally hit it off so well. I think this is largely how Dave rolls. Like, he's very clearly extroverted. He's very, um, very passionate, very artistic, and I think he just jives with people. And then when that jive works and it's a back and forth relationship that they'll just end up making stuff together and i think this is one of those things and it it's it's nice it's it's fun to listen to i re-listened to it earlier today and i was like this is nice what i didn't like about it is that edm is not for me it's not a genre that does verse chorus bridge verse very well like you you harken back to to daft punk like early um human after all and discovery like they're looping a couple stanzas from a song like they're not they're not doing half of a song like they do with rope and it's 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 a little jarring i would have preferred that they just picked less of the song to loop and and monkey around with but as it currently stands it's it's a really cool uh look into what house music was like nine years ago it's a little step back in time because i think we all probably like you know even if we won't say out loud ghosts and stuff from dead mouse i mean i i like that song i'll listen to that song yeah but do i put them together I, I like to think my music tastes are varied and I keep them in their own in their own corners. I don't know if I put them together, but I'm not disappointed at Dave and Foo Fires for trying. But that's Wasting Light. That is the records start to finish. They go on to do sellout shows in arenas across the country. This becomes one of their biggest successes thanks to back-to-back album of the year nominations by the Grammys. They are reaching a tremendous, tremendous high as a band. And coming up in our next episode, they're going to take that show on the road. They're bringing Butch Vig with them again. And they're going to eight different cities to record eight different songs for Sonic Highways. The 2014 record, the eighth album from the Foo Fighters. There's a lot of eight here. It's no accident. There's a lot of references to the number eight. And we're going to talk about it, our next episode. We want to thank you again for listening to Walking After Foo. My name is Peter. My name is Andrew. And I'm the new guy, Alex. <laughs> and he's you are here for me for at least a week. And we thank you so much. No, we we will have you back. If you ever want to come back, you are yeah, welcome you, back. You're allowed back on the show. So we'll <laughs> I'll I'll be I'll be the metal monkey. You you can bring me on to talk about Probot and uh, that one time they, that Dave played with Ghost and no one knew about it. Ooh. That could be a cool discussion. Definitely.
that could be. But thank you so much for for joining us. It's been so nice to walk down memory lane with you and to see you thank again you after so many months. Yeah. Um, we remind you as well that in addition to Wasting Light, we have talked about the prior six albums to date of the Foo Fighters discography. You can listen to them all on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anywhere podcasts are available. Just search Music Unsubscribe. That is where all of our content lives. Follow us at Music Unsub Pod on Twitter and Instagram to join us in the conversation. Tell us about these albums, what you think. Maybe we'll share some of your thoughts on the show with us. But again, thank you so much for listening. Uh, episode 7 of Wasting Light. Sonic Highways will be coming out shortly. We hope you listen then. But uh, enjoy the rest of your day. We appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk about Wasting Light, one of our favorites. <laughs>